Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. Well, I'm Pastor Ben, and it's my privilege to share God's Word with you. And today we are actually into part three of a sermon series entitled, The Greatest Stories Ever Told. And in the sermon series, this is what we've been doing. We have been diving into the stories of Christ, taught by the greatest storyteller ever to live, Jesus. And what made his stories so amazing is that through each story, there was an underlining question, a challenge to us to move in a different direction, to reconsider life, and to go in the direction that he has for us. And so we've been challenged time and time and time again. I got to tell you, some of these questions are uncomfortable, right? Some of those questions hit us right in the face. And I don't want you to miss out on any of these. And so if you're stepping in for the first time this morning, or you've been sick along the way, um, part one and part two are available on our website. You can catch up and hear the stories because I believe those stories have the power to transform just like they did back 2,000 years ago. They still bring that transformation into our life. And so please take advantage of that. But today we will be having a pretty serious conversation. And so I, I know this about you and I know this about me is this past week I felt like I've had way too many serious conversations. Do you guys feel that way? You can't flip through the channels anymore without someone talking about all this fear and all this scariness. And I'm just kind of, I, I just want to take a break, right? Can we just take a break and have a little fun? You guys, you guys okay with that? So I'm going to ask the same question, but we're going to do it in a lighthearted manner, okay? So here's the question that we're going to encounter today. It's, what do you see? All right? So what do you guys see? Do you see a young lady with a ponytail, or do you see an old bald guy with a mustache? All right, so you can play along. This is how we're going to do it, even if you're at home. If uh, you see the young lady with the ponytail first, you raise your left hand, okay? If you see the old man with the mustache, you can raise your right hand, okay? Here's your next one. Do you see a young lady? If so, raise your left hand. If you see an old lady, you raise your right hand, okay? Here's your next one. If you see a candlestick, raise your left hand. If you see two faces looking at each other, you raise your right hand. All right, here's your next one. Do you see a duck or a bunny? If you see the duck, raise your left hand. If you see the bunny, raise your right hand. All right, here's your last one. This is for the the younger crowd, so you might be thinking, I have no idea who this is anyways. All right, do you see Wolverine? If so, raise your left hand. If you see two Batmans looking at each other, raise your right hand. All right, so all these pictures are actually from a a psychology test. And so what you guys don't know is I have been watching each and every one of you and all of your answers. And now a few of you are going to get some emails. We'll set up some counseling sessions. It's going to be okay. No, of course, I'm joking. I just kind of wanted to have a little fun, 
You know, I wanted to have a little fun this morning as we encounter this incredibly challenging question by Jesus, what do you see? So as we dive into scripture today, this is what I want you to do. I want you to actually place yourself in the story. I want you to imagine you're surrounded by this large crowd, thousands of people, thousands of people around you, all crowding in because all of them want to hear Jesus. And as you look around, you see some familiar faces, right? You see some people you know, but as you look around, there's a lot of people you don't know. And as you continue to scan the crowd and scan the audience, you see a lot of people that look a lot like you. They have the same values, the same belief systems, right? You have a lot in common. But as you look around, you see a lot of people that don't look anything like you, right? They don't look like you. They don't dress like you. They probably don't have the same beliefs and values as you do. But all of them are there. And the reason all these people are here is because they do have one thing in common. They want to see Jesus, right? They've heard about his stories and his teaching and his miracles, and they want to get as close as they possibly can to Jesus. And so they're crowded around and you fought your way to the front because you want an up close and personal view for yourself. And then Jesus comes out of the crowd and he sits down. And when he sits down, that triggers everyone to know, because that's the posture of a teacher, that he's about to teach. And this huge crowd just gets really quiet. And then you see him kind of messing with something. And he pulls out some salt. Now, obviously, he doesn't have a salt container like this, but he's got a big chunk of salt, right? It's a different day, a different time. And And he just sets it right there so everyone can see. And everyone's locked in and they're wondering, what is he going to say? Well, this is what he says. You are the salt of the earth. Now, to be honest, you were hoping for a story, weren't you? Right? You got up close because you wanted to hear one of these amazing stories. And this is not a story. It's a comparison. It's a metaphor. It's a simile. But you think, oh, oh, Jesus, I'll, I'll give you a chance. Right, I'll give you a shot. You are a great teacher. I don't get my story, but maybe you got something for me today. And so you begin to wrestle with this question. What is he implying? What is he saying? What is salt? Now, some of you, you're in high school, so you don't have to think back that far. But for the rest of us, we have to actually remember the stuff that we we're taught in high school. And if we think about what salt is, some of us remember that it's NaCl, sodium chloride, right? That's what salt is. And if you remember that, hey, that's great. Good for you. And that would be correct. But like many of the things that we learned in high school, that actually won't serve you well today. (laughs) Sorry about that. So this is maybe the next thing you're thinking. Well, we all live in the north, right? What do we use salt for? Well, when it gets icy, we throw it on our, our roads and our driveways and our walkways because we want to be safe. It melts the ice. So maybe Jesus is implying that. And the answer is, no, probably not, because in that culture and in that area, the average low was 55 degrees. So they aren't really needing salt, especially since they didn't have cars, right? It's a different time, a different culture, different place. They didn't require that. So what do we have in common with these people 2,000 years ago? The answer is, we add salt to food because it enhances the flavor, It enhances the flavor. And this is what Christ is getting at. So he continues teaching. And he says this, 
But if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Now, if you are a person of science or you maybe you're, you are a science teacher, maybe you're a little bit more skeptical or you're a little bit more critical, if he were to say this to you, you might be thinking, yep, this is why I don't read the Bible. Or this is why I, I don't listen to Christ's teachings. Because everyone who knows science knows that sodium chloride is incredibly stable. It cannot actually lose its flavor. It cannot lose its saltiness. And you'd be correct. But that's not what he's implying. And no one in the crowd heard that. You see, they knew the implication. Because in that day, salt was rare. And because it was rare, it was used as currency. We still do the same thing, right? If something is rare, it has more value. And so they'd actually use salt to trade for things. It was currency. But the problem was, not only was it rare, it wasn't pure. So when they would get the salt, it had to go through this refining process. And as a result, it would have two separate substances. But they both looked the same. And so the only way to tell which one was the pure salt was to taste it, if there was saltiness or if there wasn't. And if it didn't have the saltiness, they knew this was counterfeit. They knew it was worthless. And so if you were making a deal with somebody and they would give you salt, you would taste it because you weren't sure if they were going to rip you off. And if you got home and you took the salt, or at least what you thought was salt, and you gave them whatever your possession was or whatever your product was, and if you got home and tasted it and you realized it wasn't actually salt, you'd be pretty upset. In fact, you might do this. It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You see, as soon as you know that the salt is worthless, it has no value, that you've been taken, you throw it into the garbage can, right? You throw it into the street. It looks like salt, but it doesn't actually produce the same result. Well, as Jesus continues to talk, he actually grabs something else and he reaches behind himself and he grabs this candle and he lights it and he puts it right in front so everyone can see the candle. And then he begins to teach again and he says this, you are the light of the world. Now, this one's easier, right? Light has a very specific purpose that's the same today as it was then. It lights up dark places so we can see what we're supposed to see. Now, I've been living in the Sock Valley for about four years now. And from day one, when I moved here, I have lived in Rock Falls. And some of you guys live in Rock Falls. And if you live in Rock Falls, this is what you know about Rock Falls. We have a lot of electricity issues. We have a lot of power outages, right? Once I moved here, all of a sudden my lights would go off randomly. My power would go out, no more TV, no more lights. It was horrible. So we had to go grab candles, right? We got the candles, we'd light the candles so we could see in the dark, so we could talk and we could do what we wanted to do. Well, there was one time I remember very, very distinctly, I actually was at a church league softball game here at New Life and it was a late night game, so all the, the lights were on at the field. We were playing under the lights. And I was playing outfield, and all of a sudden, the weather changed. It was hot and humid, and then it was cold. And you all know what that means, right? A storm is rolling in. So I'm already kind of a little bit nervous, right? The hair is standing up on the back of my neck. I'm just not really sure what's going to happen. 
And all of a sudden, boom, all the power's out. It was pitch black and almost instantaneously, thunder and lightning. You know what I did? I'm not proud of this, by the way. I went face first on the ground. But then I realized how dumb I looked and I popped back up real fast before anything would happen. And I ran to the dugout because it started pouring rain. I grabbed my stuff, went home. We went into the basement because there was a tornado warning or watch or something. And what do we do? We lit the candles and we played cards until the storm passed. Because light is meant to do one thing, to light up the darkness, to point at the things that we need to see. That's the point of light. And that's why Jesus continues teaching this way. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. Right? If you were to put a city on top of a hill, whether it has electricity or not, even if there's a power outage, when the sun rises, what are you going to see? You're going to see the city, right? If the city was in a forest or in a valley, that wouldn't be true. But a city on a hill, you're going to see it no matter what. People will take notice of this. And that was the point. And Christ continues through his teaching. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket. So he gets into this teaching of, hey, this is when a light becomes worthless. Right? If you don't light the candle, it doesn't do anything. Or if you light the candle and then cover up the candle, it can't do anything, right? If you remove the purpose from the candle, it actually has no value whatsoever. So Christ moves on. But this is what we do. We put it on the lampstand and it gives light to all in the house, right? That's the purpose. We get the light up so we can see what we need to see. So it shines on what it's supposed to shine on. This is why we have lights on the ceiling, right? The light comes down. We can see everything that we're supposed to see. It knocks out the darkness so we can do what we're supposed to do. So after Christ says these words, you're wrestling with these thoughts. What are the commonalities that we have? We talked about salt and light, and they seem so different, but they're very much the same. They both have a purpose, right? The salt enhances the flavor of the food. It actually points at the food. The light points at what we're trying to see at. So they both have a purpose. But Christ was also teaching that both of them actually become worthless when they're not used, right? If you don't salt your French fries, they're not going to taste right. If you don't light up your house, you can't see. And so Jesus actually gives us the application today. He gives us the takeaway. He tells us how we should apply this to our lives. This is what he says. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Right? What's the point of light? to light up the room so people can see what they're supposed to see. And how does he say we do it? He says, good works. Now, if you're like me, I kind of take a sigh of relief. Hey, that's doable, right? That's not that hard. I will, I'll be nice, I'll be kind, I'll be generous, I'll mow someone's lawn, right? I can, I can do good works, right? I can fulfill this, right, Jesus? I'm doing that. But if we think that's all it is, we kind of miss the point. In fact, Martin Luther would say the same thing. This is what he says about this passage. What Jesus calls good works here is the exercise, expression, and confession of the teaching about Christ and faith, which we also help others to believe.
You see, Luther knew that it's deeds and words. Both are required. And the reason that he came to this conclusion is because he knew in the story there was this underlining, challenging question of what do you see? The statement that challenges us and drives us. And you know who knew that better than anyone else, this question of of what do you see? Christ's disciples. Because when Christ rose from the dead, everything changed. The church was formed. A, A religion was launched. They got a new name, Christian. But here was the problem. They still looked like everyone else because the disciples were Jewish guys. Which means if they were just nice and kind and generous, guess what people would assume? These are nice and kind and generous Jewish people. And for the rest of the Christians, they had all sorts of different nationalities and garb. Some of them were Roman. And so if they were nice and kind and generous, guess what people thought? They were nice and kind and generous Romans. So they had to match their deeds with their words so people could understand the difference. But I understand this trap because many of us grew up in a time and a culture where everyone around us went to church, where everyone around us was a Christian, which means when someone was nice and kind and generous to us, guess what we assumed? They're a Christian, right? I grew up in a town like this. Everyone in my hometown went to church. And so when someone was kind, generous, paid my tab, guess what I thought? This is a really nice Christian person. You see, we assume people are just like us. And I got caught up into that assumption until I was about 20. And this is what happened. There was a a pastor in the area, and he asked me if I would like to go on his his youth ministry trip. They're going to do a mission trip down to Mexico. And I said, yeah, I'll go. So we got onto the plane with him and myself and, and some of these high school students. And we flew down to Texas and we got in a van and we drove into the heart of Mexico for this mission trip. And we served the people and loved the people and cared for the people. And we shared Jesus with them. In fact, we even ran a vacation Bible school in the heart of Mexico for these kids. It was phenomenal. We taught them songs about Jesus and taught them stories about Jesus. It was, it was just a great week. But during that week, there was one high school student who really stood out. I mean, he was amazing. He loved and cared for people more than anyone else. He was so nice and so caring and so generous every moment of every day throughout the whole trip. That when we got back on our plane to fly back to Minnesota, I sat next to him and I said, Jason, that was his name. I said, Jason, I got to tell you, you were so impressive on that trip. I mean, you were so nice and kind and caring. I said, I believe that every person that you came in contact with felt the presence of Christ, who saw the face of Christ, who beyond a shadow of doubt knew what Jesus was about. And he looked at me and said, I really doubt that. Which kind of threw me back a little bit. I'm like, what what do you mean you really doubt that? He said, well, because I'm an atheist. You see, we always naturally assume that people are just like us. So in the early church, when they took on this name Christian, they had to share the truth. They had to shine the light. And you know where the light shines the brightest? In moments of crisis. For the early church, it was persecution and death. 
when they loved people and told people about Jesus. People didn't like that. And they ended up being killed for their faith. But guess what? In the midst of that crisis, they never gave up hope. They never stopped loving. They weren't overcome by fear, but they were overcome by the reality of Christ. And guess what happened? That same empire that tried to kill off all these Christians, that same empire that put them into the arenas for the lions to kill, 500 years later, the emperor would claim Christianity as the, the empire's religion because of what these guys did and where they shine their light. Today we have our own crisis, don't we? It's all over the news. It's in, on all of our tongues, right? This is what we're talking about. This is what we're thinking about. And we have another opportunity to shine our light into the crisis and to show people that we are not overcome by fear, but we are overcome by love. And the reason we're not caught in fear, but we're overcome by love is because of what Christ has done for us and what Christ can do for them. So we share our story. We're open and honest with those who we're around. But we're still caught up with this question. We still have this nagging question that we have to resolve, which is, what do you see? So, what do you see? Now, this might be the most important question that anyone asks you in your entire life. So, what do you see? Do you see a good teacher? Do you see a nice guy? Do you see a, a crazy person getting what he deserves? Do you see a fairy tale? Or do you see the Son of God who loved you so much that he came down and lived among us, lived the perfect life, and became the perfect sacrifice on the cross so that your sins, your shortcomings, your failures could be wiped clean, so you could be in a perfect and true relationship with him that begins in this life and lasts forever. Now, if your answer was the last one, that Jesus is the savior of the world, then there's another question that you have to wrestle with, which is, what do they see when they look at me? Do they see a nice person? Do they see a kind person? Do they see a generous person? Or do they see a nice, kind, and generous person who's willing to risk everything to match that deed with word and share with people where our true source of hope and love comes from, which is Jesus Christ? Steady, so